This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good afternoon. You're listening to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. In light of the upcoming state elections, we'll be taking another look at Blanja 1 2023 or Budget 2023 as it's more commonly known as. On today's show, we will be honing in on social housing, particularly program Perumahan Rakyat, um, which is PPR, how it's been maintained over the years and how Blanja 1 2023 seeks to improve the conditions of the people living there. So joining me on the show today to discuss this is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. Welcome to the show, Badrul. How are you? Thank you. Uh, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, let's start with um, something that I think often uh, people are confused about. Often I think the terms are being used interchangeably. But um, when we talk about affordable housing, right, could you explain what exactly PPR, Project Perumahan Rakyat, or more commonly known as PPR flats are, and how they differ from other affordable housing offerings such as Rumah Selangoku, Rumah Mesra, PPAM, and so on and so forth? Basically, um, there's a difference between public housing and affordable housing. Hmm. And that's the main difference between uh, the ones that you just mentioned. Uh, so PPR, which is the program Perumahan Rakyat, is, is basically, uh, in a nutshell, public housing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are not government. Uh, they are not affordable housing. Uh, they are government program that is sort of initiated uh, to resettle slum uh, slum um, population, uh, sort of to meet the housing needs of Malaysia at the time, and focusing more on the low income group, which is the B40, and um, it's owned by uh, the government. Uh, Different agencies have their own different programs. Uh, they have we have the federal uh, owned uh, PPR. We have the state owned PPRs as well. And uh, but they do have two different types. As is, as in there's one that is for rented, uh, and then there's a program that is sort of rent to own, where uh, the residents can slowly uh, pay um, accumulated where they in the end own the PPR flats. Uh, which is different from affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Affordable housing is basically private ownership. Uh, they are not owned by the government, and you know the price range of these uh, you know the properties are also very different as well. All right. So now let's hone in on Blanja One Twenty Twenty Three. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the new budget? Right, that this uh, Krajan Madani tabled at the start of the year, especially with regard to the building and maintenance of PPR flats. I am involved with one of the programs that's under the Budget Twenty Twenty Three program that is run by Think City, which is called Program K Two K, which is you know funded by uh, the current government, which is under the. the, the John Madani. Um, and this program was sort of initiated by the city way back in 2020. And this is the year where the government came in and uh, you know, inject funds into this program, which were able to sort of make it expand it from uh, what was uh, done before, uh, where the main objective of this program is to improve the lives of the public housing community and to make them more independent and resilient. Um, and the whole idea is to support the community and the building management to solve social, economic, and you know the physical challenges of, of these housing complexes. Looking into sort of you know uh, four critical areas, which are you know community empowerment, uh, management enhancement, uh, also looking into income generation, and of course policy reform 
looking at the gaps and weaknesses of the current ones and you know uh, proposing a new policy for the current existing PPRs and also uh, for the newly built or the you know planned um, PPR that's going to be built in the future. Right. Could you dive into that a little bit more? Because I think that's very interesting, right? Because um you know, you're working a little bit with Think City, um, and the, basically the government has approached Think City to to do this, uh, you know, K two K program. Could you explain what the role of, let's say, Think City is in in this program? What are they trying to achieve? Um, why Think City in, in particular? Well, because Think City have been involved with this program. I mean, this is the, the this particular program is a brainchild of Think City. Mm-hmm. It started, like I said, it was way back in 2020 during the uh, MCO. Uh, and, you know, Think City as an organization is really looking into the issues of urban development. We have a lot of other programs under it, uh, which I'm not involved in, but uh, in this particular one, we're really looking into uh, building resilience of, uh, you know, uh, urban communities. And housing is a main issue, uh, specifically public housing in Asia, where there are certain um, trajectory that uh, can be, you know, said a bit worrying. Uh, and this is where the organization came in and tried to sort of see what are the interventions and what are the, uh, the progress that can be done to sort of, you know, reverse or, you know, uh, change the course of direction of the public housing in Malaysia in terms of making sure it doesn't go into uh, further into the problems that we've foreseen that it's going into. Right. Uh, so the role of this is really, you know, in developing this whole program and they were able to do it uh, on a more smaller scale. Uh, previously, but with this sort of um, injection from the government uh, with this new budget, then we were able to expand more of the program to look into not just uh, you know um, ad hoc programs, but more uh, holistic and long-term programs with different phases and different components that we can look into as well. So, you know, under Blanja 1-2023 Badrol, the government has allocated 367 million ringgit for building new PPR flats, which they estimate will benefit more than 12,000 new residents. Is this significant? Any kind of program that will provide housing for the people who are struggling to afford it is good in general. Um, this is something that probably we should have looked into a lot, you know, um, earlier. And, uh, you know, the idea of expanding uh, public housing is also something that uh, I uh, personally believe in. And it's just a matter of making sure that the new ones that are going to be built are not going to sort of repeat the same mistakes of uh, the previous ones. Uh, And this is where the challenge will be, whether the money that is going to be spent uh, is sustainable and will it provide the kind of level of quality of life where that, that the residents will need uh, rather than just building something and, you know, uh, let it sort of um, run its own course. Absolutely. Now, I want to press that further and ask, you know, you, you talk about, you, you say that it's important to expand um, public housing. Why so? Um, especially when you contextualize it to the wider sort of um, economic situation where, you know, uh, people from particular generations, um, they cannot afford housing um, in many uh, across, whether it's in Malaysia or across the globe, we are seeing a, a sort of um, housing crisis in that sense. Housing is becoming more and more unaffordable. So with all of that in mind, how 
important is this, um, you know, expansion of public housing? It's very important. And uh, many scholars around the world have also, I mean, have, have mentioned this, um, you know, the idea that housing are essentially public goods and we cannot just rely entirely on the hands of the market and maybe private developers to provide that. Um, because what happens now is that, uh, you know, uh, these you know, public goods, things that we really need to, to survive uh, has become a commodity where people do it for solely for profit. Um, and uh, just to, you know, have, use it as an asset rather than, you know, really making it uh, serve its actual purpose, which is, you know, give shelter to people. And um, the way to go around it uh, rather than, what we have been doing for the past, you know, decades is basically uh, relying on the private uh, market to provide affordable housing. Uh, you know, making them, uh, giving them, you know, a chance to profit from luxurious building and mm-hmm. all those other, uh, you know, more expensive housing, and then using that profit to provide affordable housing. It doesn't really sort of make sense because, you know, in the end. Uh, it's a business and, and cost-cutting uh, cost measure, you know, will be the main priority. Um, so the only way to go around is actually to, for the, you know, um, for the government to you know, take charge of, of building of housing, which, you know, basically means creating more public and social housing for all, not just for um, the B40 or, you know, the, the, the poor community, but, you know, uh, everyone should be able to access these types of housing. Now, you know, you talk about mistakes of the past and, you know, when we look at aging PPR buildings, um, you know, you drive past them, you know, they, a lot of them face maintenance issues, infrastructure problems, um, you know, just simple things like the lifts constantly breaking down and, and there's no, it hasn't been painted in, in God knows how many years. Um, as a result, um, many PPR flats um, look like they're decaying. So what needs to be done to improve the quality of these PPR flats, both in terms of infrastructure and also aesthetics? Um, what, what steps should be taken? Well, before going to the mistake, at least we can uh, admit or, you know, um, sort of give credit where the the initial program actually was very successful in um, housing slum uh, population mm-hmm. or squatter population. People who are living in informal housing, uh, you know, in KL uh, or in Klang Valley, most of them were sort of a riverine uh, population living by the, uh, along the Klang River and all that. Um they were able to be housed in a more, at the time, modern infrastructure, uh, where they have access to clean water, they have access to electricity, and uh, a more solid building like, rather than squatters. So at least it was successful to do that. But what happens now is probably for the lack of maintenance, for the lack of uh, foresight of what was going to happen or what was needed to, to maintain uh, the housing, what we see now is a decay, is what you said. And in fact, I would add that it's not just you know physical decay, but also economic and social decay. Uh, and um, these problems are interrelated, and in what we can call as wicked problem, where there is no single cause and no single solution to deal with it, which is the main challenge of of, of how we can sort of um, you know um, reverse the kind of trajectory that these housings are going ahead or going into. Uh, and in fact, because of their inter- interdependencies, you know. 
uh, an effort, uh, one effort to solve one problem or one aspect of the problem might reveal or cause another problem. Um, which is me saying that there is no easy solution, there's no clear solution in how to uh, you know, uh, improve uh, this housing. And it, it needs to be done collectively. Uh, and in fact, uh, with uh, the program that we are working with, Think City right now, the K2K program, uh, a lot of it is actually trying to understand the system, trying to understand the current situation, or what lead to this current situation, and uh, before we can even sort of propose any solid recommendation, uh, because um, we need to really look into all these different uh, elements that lead to the current situation that the housing are uh, currently dealing with, rather than saying okay, this is one problem and then this is the this is the problem and you just fix this and everything will happen, and to to add into that, it's not a problem that will be solved uh, once and for all, and you know, and we can just let it go. Right. It needs a constant uh, look, a constant maintenance. It needs constant um, changes in terms of our policy. You will deal with different issues in the uh, in the in, in the future that we don't even know yet, which will definitely affect uh, housing and uh, livability and all that. So it needs a constant uh, observation and monitoring. Uh, and what we can aspire is actually to make things better rather than solving the right. So you, you talk about the importance of constant you know, maintenance. Um, I think that has been like one of the problems with Malaysia for the longest time. Right? Sometimes our policies are great, our you know, initial ideas are great, but it's that follow-through, it's that maintaining, um, whether even if you look at the public transport. Do you get the sense that there is a shift um, when it comes to this government? Um, for example, the government has allocated $50 million for the maintenance of lifts at PPR flats. Does it signal that we are taking steps in the right direction? Well, for me, it, signal, it signals the commitment mm-hmm. uh, and at least the um, understanding of the government that efforts and uh, funds need to be put into these things so that we can, um, you know, uh, solve certain issues or at least make things uh, better than what, what they are right now. The challenge is whether what we are putting in, uh, you know, quote unquote, worth the money, mm. uh, which means that we, you know, instead of, you know, just putting in the budget, which is an important element, of course, uh, well, we need to be sure that, the, 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 you know, the budget that we are putting into are into interventions and uh, policies and programs that will have long lasting effect. On the positive side, you know, uh, rather than just you know thinking that money can fix everything. On the show with me today is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the director of programs at Iman Research. After the break, we discuss the process and criteria to rent or buy a PPR flat. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM eighty nine point nine. Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research and we are talking about Blanja 2023 and the allocations to improve the quality of PPR flats and the living conditions of its residents. So, Badrul, unlike in Singapore, right, the, the interesting thing about Singapore is that, you know, close to 80% of their population live in 
public housing, government flats, right? In in Malaysia, PPR flats are, and you touched on this a little bit earlier, right? Um, they are, they are at least in its current um, incarnation, right? In its current um, philosophy, they are targeted for the B40 and lower income groups specifically. As a result, there is this stigma attached to those who live in PPR flats. For example, people look down on them or brand PPR as scary ghettos and so on and so forth. Does Budget 2023 do enough to address these issues? Well, the program that Things City is doing under the K2K program is addressing this issue. The anchor component of the program is community empowerment. Uh, and this is the main element in terms of, uh, you know, what you were saying, where uh, there's a sort of negative perception in uh, in the, not just the resident, but the, the system in general, that people no longer believe in public housing uh, as, as the way forward because of what they see, what's going on with the current ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we can change the public perception, we see that it is more important that the community who are currently in uh, these uh, complexes, uh, feel more empowered and um, are able to, uh, you know, deal with and solve the issues that they're dealing with on a daily basis by themselves. Um, and what I mean by themselves is that not just letting them, you know, uh, you know, chunk the responsibility on them, and you know, <laughs> uh, and and everybody just you know, let go of things, but uh, to sort of instill the kind of um, sense of belonging, which they do have, and sense of pride, which is also they do have, but in a way to to make sure that um, they are more independent and they're empowered, like that, they, they, that they know that the problems that they're facing can be solved uh, as long as they are um, sort of guided to the right direction and being connected to the communities and connected to agencies and other third parties that will be able to help them solve these issues. And this is the main aspect of this particular program, which is connecting all these community to the network that will be able to uh, support them in dealing with their uh, daily issues. And at the same time, we're also doing public advocacy as well. Mm-hmm. We are in the sort of very early stage of this whole uh, program. So the public advocacy have not been uh, that active yet. But this is one element that we also want to do to show to the outside, because we always hear people from outside talk about uh, Public housing communities. <laughs> we rarely hear the voices from the communities themselves. Right. Uh, and among the programs, among the elements of the programs that we are doing, is that is begging, giving the voice to the community to talk about uh, their environment, whether they have problems with it with them, or whether they are there are certain things that they're happy with. Uh, but it's about them having uh, control of the narrative of their own lives. And being able to show that to share that with the with the rest of the world rather than being talked about. Some PPR developments they lack proper amenities, facilities, um, playgrounds, community centers, recreational areas. Um, how does this right that the, these deficiencies um, impact the quality of life of the residents there? Well, interestingly. There are also PPR flats that are located in prime areas, mm. you know, which is right in the middle of the city center, right. commercial areas, and schools, hospitals, and all that. But these tend to be the early generation, uh, which are basically more known as PA, Perumahan Awam, before it changed into uh, PPR, which is the current one. Right. 
Um, and in fact, there was a time where these places were seen as desirable. You know, a lot of people wanted to move into these uh, housing complexes rather than uh, to other places because of uh, not just their affordability in terms of the rent, but it's very clear and near to all the commercial areas, to, to, to all the, you know, amenities and facilities and all that. Um, but unfortunately, there was the decay element. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These, you know, housing complexes are not that well maintained. And then the newer ones have the tendency to be built in areas that are quite isolated from the rest. And of course, the lack of these amenities and facilities do have a serious impact on the quality of life of the residents. You know, public goods need to be sort of provided, maintained and expanded, not just the housing, but other parts of the public goods as well. And uh, communities need to be uh, able to access them, um, which is sort of the idea behind what we have heard um, sort of uh, over the years, uh, this idea of the 15-minute city concept, mm-hmm. where all the public goods and uh, amenities should be uh, within 15-minute walking distance uh, from everyone. I mean, there are some people who say 15, some people who say 10, some people say 12, but basically the idea is to have a really um, basic um, quality of life. Uh, where you know residents in urban area are able to not only have good housing but also uh, have access to uh, you know uh, hospitals, schools, other you know public parks, libraries, and all that. We do need to have uh, the kind of urban development and or neighborhood development that would you know uh, take into consideration these things, like, rather than you know. For the sake of affordability, you build a, a, a cheap house where the, the the land price is not too expensive, but it's you know far away from everywhere else, mm-hmm. which makes living there even more expensive. Uh, you just don't pay the expensive rent, but you pay uh, you know a lot on other things, you know, which is sort of this whole idea where it's more expensive to be poor than to be rich, uh, which is what a lot of people in Spiti are actually experiencing, especially the ones that are sort of isolated from from other places. It is difficult to go to school, it's difficult to find jobs, it's difficult to find groceries, and you have to spend more uh, to get these things. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, you have uh, prime areas where, you know, yes, they pay a lot of rent, but, you know, just the ease of going to buy uh, groceries and going to, buy, going to go to schools or just looking for ATM, for example, uh, you know, makes it very unequal in terms of the the experience of living in an urban environment between the poor and the rich. In the 21st century, when we talk about access, I think one of the most important things that people need to have access to, I think more, it, it's increase, growing, its importance is growing day by day, is internet access. Um, when we look at the budget, uh, Blanjo 2023, the government has said to provide free internet access at 56 selected PPR locations in Kuala Lumpur. How important is this? It's very important because the world is going towards that direction. Hmm. Uh, I mean, personally, I would say uh, we cannot solely rely on digital technology. We right. have to maintain uh, different kinds of uh, access to different, uh, so that you can sort of um, entertain different needs and different um, population. But because we are going in a direction where everything is now online, everything is now digital, if you want to go through that direction, you have to make sure that everybody has access to it. 
and uh, things that we take for granted, like data plan, is something that you know you can really see the difference between someone who you know a middle class with their sort of a very effective uh, mobile data plan mm-hmm. with sort of a cheap version of that, where just opening a browser they have to deal with ads. Just to open the browser, they have to wait for minutes for things to load. Whereas, you know, in other other community, they can just, you know, it's, it's faster that they can pick. Um, so it is important. So I, I think the move to, to provide uh, internet access to the PPR is something that is uh, very much needed. And this is also something that we learned from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, where you know people can't go to school because kids can't go to school, they have to rely on digital platform, and the lack of digital access, the lack of internet access, sort of really you know put them in the back seat in terms of development, in terms of the opportunities and all that. Um, so in preparation for whatever things that we have to deal with in the future, um, not saying that we will have any pandemic and lockdowns again, but you know um, knowing that this thing can happen and had happened, so we have to be prepared for it. Uh, so, you know, providing this infrastructure for, you know, PPR community is sort of a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Now, another problem, Badrol, with um, developing public housing only for the lower income group or B40 is that... Th- Often these areas um, tend to be avoided, like we just talked about, right? There's the stigma. So it's avoided by the middle class. And as we know, the consumer class is the middle class, right? So the problem is when when the middle class are not entering um, the PPR areas, they are not buying or or staying in PPR um, flats, this can lead to a lack of economic activities around the flats um, as compared to certain, let's say, um, private, private service apartments. What is your read on the situation and how do we change it moving forward? Do we need to, to change this? Yes, I do believe that we need to change this. I believe that we can isolate the problem of public or social housing from the bigger problem of housing. Mm-hmm. And in fact, from the bigger uh, problem of urban development, um, and instead of you know providing affordable housing for all, we we tend to prioritize certain types of housing that can be more profitable, uh, and the ones who cannot afford will get the short end of the stigma, which is what is happening right now. Uh, and in fact, like we were talking earlier, we even hope that you know the profit from these expensive housing was supposed to sort of channel to the, right. the, the public housing, which is you know has never been successful in that case. Um, so, and this goes back to the idea of compact city, 15 minute, 10 minute, 12 minute city, you know that. Um, the idea that, you know, we cannot, um, you know, let a certain group of population uh, being cut off uh, mm-hmm. from access to uh, work, from access to businesses, because it will create enclaves, it will create ghettos. And we have seen this happen in a lot of other major cities. And luckily, we have never reached that part yet where we actually have really, really entrenched ghettoization that's happening. Right. You see that in a lot of uh, developed countries, actually. You see mm-hmm. it in, the, in the US, you see that in, in, you know, in Western Europe and all that, places like France and all that, in the UK. And the whole idea is to learn from their mistakes. You know, when we talk about, when we have conversations with people about public housing, about ghettos in Malaysia, people always say, well, we're not as problematic as, as those countries or as those developed first world nations. But we are repeating that mistake. We are not there yet, but if we don't do something 
right now we are going to that uh, direction. We will have places where it will be complete that those will be complete hmm. cut off from from uh, the rest of the population. We don't have the issue of ethnic ghettos, but we have the issue of social class ghettos, right? Um, which is something that we really need to uh, prevent from happening. So the idea that making poor people, for the lack of a better term, poor people and rich people live in the same neighborhood is a good thing. And this is also a good urban development um, strategy because you know studies have shown that uh, any neighborhood needs cheap and expensive uh, goods. It needs cheap and expensive businesses. It needs that kind of diversity right. for those needs to be vibrant. Mm-hmm. And once a neighborhood becomes sort of monotonous, only rich or only poor, then it risks becoming um, dead in a sense, you know, right. where it's no longer vibrant. It doesn't have the the the, the diversity that uh, an urban center needs. So, Badrol, how do you um, strike this balance, right? Because... Um, while we want the conditions to improve, right? There's no denying that. Is there a fear of over-gentrification? This idea that uh, once, you know, we improve the outlook of a particular place, um, then it drives up the rent and then you have, um, you know, like you said, more expensive um, sort of T20 Instagram kind of business coming into the area um, and then it makes it very unaffordable for the poor people who are living there, uh, you know, uh, for the lower income groups in which these areas are primarily built for, at least in its current philosophy. How do you strike that balance see this is where the wicked problem comes to play right uh, we improve the housing making it more livable and desirable and then the prices will go up right um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, for me this is a clear weakness in the economic system that we are in right where um, you know things are uh, I mean the whole idea of gentrification is because of speculation really mm-hmm. the idea that that uh, the neighborhood becomes more prime area and people are more willing to pay for higher prices. So the price went up to cater to the ones who can afford it or who are willing to pay for it, whether they can afford it or not. Mm-hmm. A lot of people buy things that they couldn't afford anyways. Um, and for me, that's a clear uh, weakness in our economic system, like, which is not a Malaysian, uh, a unique Malaysian problem, which is a global problem. And uh, a more detailed conversation on that would you know, require someone who's uh, a more, uh, you know, uh, expert in the economic uh, field, I would say. But there are certain things that we can put in place to sort of not necessarily solve the problem, but, um, you know, uh, have some impact or a buffering um, effect. Uh, for example, rent control. Uh, and I know a lot of people are very much against it. Uh, because in in one way it can lead to uh, lack of investment in certain neighborhoods because we cannot profit from it. Um, but again, these are again the, the balance that we need to think about, and it's not one solution. It's not a a, a, a perfect solution that mm-hmm. would last forever. It's something right. that we always have to negotiate and bargain between all the different um, sectors and all the different perspectives. Uh, but having rent control, for example, will be able to uh, sort of buffer the uh, price because really that's what we're paying for. We're paying mm-hmm. for rent, and rent is not really based on any um, tangible uh, physical um, thing. It's it's really based on speculation. It's based on how much 
uh, people are willing to pay for it, which is based on how much they think they will make money out of renting that space. Um, so this is a, a part of a bigger conversation that we you know need a lot of more inputs from other experts and other 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 thinkers as well. With all of that in mind, um, for those who may not know, for for listeners who are thinking of getting a PPR, uh, moving into a PPR. Could you explain the process and, and the criteria to either rent or buy a, a PPR? Uh, well, you can apply through it online, uh, depending on which agency owns the PPR. Um, the, there's the uh, System Pengurusan Perumahan Negara, uh, which I believe is a federal-owned uh, entity. You can apply online through that. And then there's also the sort of uh, Perumahan Negeri um, uh, platform that you can apply to where is owned by the state government, either Selangor State or uh, Johor or Penang and all that. So the applications are mostly now done for online. Um, there's a few criteria that you will need to meet to be able to be eligible uh, for a unit, other than availability, of course. Um, I, I believe the criteria are you need to be legend citizens, um, you have, there's an age limit, you have to be 18 years and above and all that. And you have to have a gross household income of RM3,000 or below per month. And the, the applicant should not already have owned the home. Right. Uh, these are the basic criteria that you need to uh, to be eligible to, to apply for the PPR. Right. And one last question. Um, are there mechanisms in place to ensure that PPR um, the flats are not bought by people who are trying to be landlords and make money? Um, because that is... Some the, the complaint that we tend to hear sometimes where, you know, at, at it, in its current philosophy, like we said, the, the PPRs are built f- for people in the B40, lower incomes group, people who cannot afford housing. But then you, you hear about how sometimes, you know, just some private landlord or someone is buying the units and then renting it out, you know, at a much more expensive price and, and, and all of that. Are there mechanisms in place to ensure that PPR flats are not bought like or to not utilised that way? Well, well, first, once you buy the thing, the, 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 the housing, it's going to be difficult to sort of stop them from renting to others because mm. it's already turned into their own private unit. Um, but of course, there are certain mechanisms that can be put in place to prevent it. And in fact, those mechanisms, I think, are already put in place in terms of, you know, terms and condition of of uh, buying the, the units um, or even renting it. You also cannot sublet it to other people as well. Right. So in terms of the terms and conditions and the agreement and all that, they all um, are already there. But the problem is enforcement. And the problem with enforcement is that you need strong management, of course, that doesn't only rely on the authority, but have legitimacy among the residents. And this is the main issue. On paper, the management have authority, but they lack legitimacy from the residents. And what I mean by that is that residents don't necessarily feel that they uh, should listen to the management. Right. Why is that? And this is what we need to find out. Because, you know, you can have on paper the strongest authority, uh, you know, that can be given to you. But if it's not sort of reciprocated, if the residents or the, you know, the target people that you are sort of supposed to manage with don't feel that uh, there's legitimacy in the authority, then there's nothing that you can do. 
Um, and this is why we need to really look into understand the dynamics that is happening within all these uh, complexes. And in fact, this is one of the main elements that we are looking into in the in the in this uh, K2K program, which is a management issue. Is it uh, a question of the existing mechanism? Is it the question of uh, lack of participation from residents? Is it the question of the residents don't trust the management? Hmm. So this is the elements that need to look into once we, again, this is, you know, wishful thinking. I mean, wishful thinking as in what I mean is it's not as easy as it sounds, but mm. once we understand the dynamic of, 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 the, uh, of the, the, the legitimacy of the, of the management, then probably we can figure out how to enforce and how to get residents by in, in terms of following uh, the agreements that they uh, sign on to. Badrul, would you have a final message for us? Just housing for all. Badrul, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Badrul Hisham Ismail. He's the Director of Programs at Iman Research. Don't forget to visit www.blanjawan.mof.gov.my slash manfaat to find out more about how you can take part in the various initiatives as well as explore many more measures that the government is offering to the rakyat. www.blanjawan.mof.gov.my slash manfaat If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Live and Learn, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.